Thanks, Matt. Yes, welcome to Urban Grace. Uh, my name is Trev, and I am the pastor here. And as you will understand this later, I am the lead elder here at Urban Grace Church. Uh, today, we're going to talk about leadership. And you might be a guest here this morning. You might even be new. You might be old to Urban Grace. Uh, that's hard to say because you can't be more than four years older than Urban Grace. We have our uh, actually our three-year anniversary coming up in April. You're not going to want to miss uh, that. It's the, the probably the funniest and funnest time of the year where we ret- retell the, the story of how amazing it was to be six people in a basement. Um, so you'll, you'll want to come out for that. But really what we're doing here is we're, we're kind of reinvestigating because we've actually done this. We did this relatively early in our church and then over time we realized that our church has changed and grown and people have met Jesus and some have joined the mission. And so we need to reestablish kind of the DNA of what's going on at Urban Grace. And one of the very important parts of the DNA at Urban Grace is the way we lead and govern our church. Um, let me just be honest, this is one of the most controversial points in our church, DNA-wise. Uh, that's because w- what we understand the Bible to say doesn't really line up well with uh, culture. It doesn't seem to always line up even with other Christians. And so I know that there's going to be tension in the room with some of you this morning. I want to say that's okay. It's okay to have that tension. It's okay to say, I don't totally see where this is coming from or how this works, but I want you to hang in there and listen to, to the reasons why we believe what we believe and why we're going to lead uh, like we are going to lead. But if you're a guest here this morning, or if you're not a guest, I think there's probably this question that you will have, um, what's going on with leadership? What, what's the deal with leadership? Most of the time, if, if you have any concept of Uh, you know, what's going on in a church or any organization, you're always wondering, like, who's who's at the top? Who's leading this whole thing? Who's governing this whole thing? How is it being led? How is this thing structured? And so I think there's lots to learn, even if you're not a part of Urban Grace here this morning, as you think through the qualifications of who's called to lead a church. I'll say the other side of it. Many of you, in fact, there's probably a large number of you that are here as a result of your bad experiences with leadership. I say that with all genuineness, that if there's one thing that seems to turn people off of churches, it's usually not the music, although that happens. It's usually not just the preaching, although that certainly happens. It's most likely related to some frustration with the direction or the the way that a church leads. Maybe it's with a particular leader, often a kind of a senior leader in a church or, or, or someone who kind of looks over things, has some issues, and so that's one of the bigger pushbacks. And so that, that's why this is such an important Um, issue for us to speak about is this whole issue of leadership and to say that that it I think it would be easy for us to say well why don't we have kind of a private conversation why don't we talk about this outside you know outside of kind of a Sunday morning context but I think honestly this is the kind of situation that we we should just hit head on and, and 
basically come out of the closet, so to speak, and tell you where we're at and how we govern and why we, we do it. And so I want you to, to, to uh, hear our kind of definition. We haven't done this throughout the, the whole series, um, but our, our definition uh, of a church, and it, this is, I'm not going to say it's a work in progress, but this is the way we define it is in progress in one sense, because I think there are always, there's always better words you can use, and there's always better ways to say things, and so you kind of shape it. But this is how we're understanding the church. So even as we talk in this series about the household, and we're, we're actually doing this as a way in which, at the end of this series, we will have a membership covenant that leadership signs and that you as members will sign. And I know some of you are like, okay, you lost me there. I'm never becoming a member. I don't like this idea and this concept. Please come to the next two weeks and then make your decision on that. And we'll give you good reasons, I think, for considering this. But what are we actually asking you to covenant to? You know, throughout history, there's been a lot of stuff like churches. I have a pretty significant portion of my library in my, in my office that's about church. And I went through them and like one out of 20 had a definition of a church. Something we don't really define a lot. And so here's our definition. It's a family. And you'll hear our gospel family mission. Those are three key words that I want you to pay attention to. They're in there. A family of disciples who confess the gospel of Jesus Christ and follow him as Lord through his Holy Spirit. In obedience to scripture, they organize under qualified leadership, gathering regularly gather regularly to hear the preached word and experience the biblical ordinances of baptism in the Lord's table. And actually, that should say scatter. See, it's work in progress. Scatter regularly to fulfill the mission of God. I think you'll see there is they gather under and they organize themselves under qualified leadership. That's kind of the phrase that we use. We could say qualified eldership and, and that uh, I'm fine with that. Um, but leadership, a lot of people don't really know what an elder is. Um, some of you are like, yeah, my, my grandparents are elders because they're old. Um, that's some of your concept of what an elder is. And so we want to unpack this today. So the first thing, what is an elder? Uh, let me say, first of all, that when we say qualified leadership, we're looking primarily in places like First Peter 5. We're looking in places like First Timothy 3. These are all books that are written in the Bible uh, it's particularly in the New Testament part of the Bible, and, and in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, which is more of a narrative form uh, of, of where we're at. But we understand and we're pursuing. Now hear me when I say this, pursuing. So this means we haven't arrived yet. This means it's in process. It means we're working towards this. We're pursuing. We're pursuing a church governance style we believe is in line with the Bible of qualified male elders who lead, govern, and care for the church. Now already I've lost some of you because you said, well, you added the word male. What's that about? We'll get into that. We'll get into that. But really that comes out of this idea of what we understand and believe about marriage. And since we've talked pretty openly about this concept of family, we believe simply that the way that we govern our large family is the way that we talk about governing our small family. In our small families, we do believe that the husbands are called to lead and the wives and, and the children are called to follow that lead. That's a stance we've made. 
And we believe that that then is modeled further in the larger family. And so again, I know that this is a push point for some, but I want you to understand this is in congruence with each other of how we understand the whole concept of family and marriage. And, and you'll hear more about marriage in a couple months when we talk about it. And we'll, we'll, we'll deal with this at, at a later date. But actually, one of the qualifications in 1 Timothy talks about uh, a, a, a husband of one wife. And it is talking about a husband of one wife. No matter what translation you look at, it's a husband of one wife. And then it also says one of the qualifications that if, is if that husband does not lead his own family well, how can we put him in charge of a church? And so that's literally, that's literally one of the qualifications that we see in 1 Timothy is, is that if you don't know how to run your small family, why would we give you the large family? I see the congruency there even in the book of 1 Timothy in terms of qualifications. And so let's, let's talk about what is an elder. And I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of 1 Peter. It's one of the last books in the Bible. And again, if you're new or you're new to Christianity, friends, um, I want you to listen in and, and be reminded that this is a family talk. This is not necessarily something that I'm asking you to go and, and, and make universal and everywhere. This is a family issue for us. We're talking to you as a family here. This is how we're going to run this family. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, there's some good instructions from a man who is very close to Jesus. Jesus handed him the keys to essentially the church. 1 Peter is one of the last books of the Bible, so go to the back of your Bible and then go left a couple of chapters and you'll find it there. And if not, uh, hopefully you can see it on the screen behind me and I'll just read it for you. One of the last things he does, and he speaks kind of to the universal, uh, the, the universal church here because he talks about a number of different provinces. And so he, he's not just specific to one particular culture. He's not specific to one particular city or situation. And this is what he says. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders." Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I think there's a lot of helpful things here for us in terms of, of shepherding. Now, some of you are like, wait a second, you talk about shepherd like it's just a rolls kind of off the tongue. Anyone here in as animal husbandry? I, I know, like this summer, there's a, there's a gal who's part of our city group. She seriously, she was in, uh, she's not here this morning, I don't think, I don't see her. She's the only one I know that actually has taken care of sheep. Now, most of you, and maybe, maybe you do, uh, I, forgive me if that's you this morning, if I've overlooked your job and that's what you do for a living. It, it's a concept and a, it, it's more of an image than really it is a job description. I mean, some of us, our image of shepherds, let's be honest, it's 
at Christmas time of like of a play, right? And the people who can't act, they get jobs as shepherds. It almost always happened, right? They wear a bathrobe or something like that, and they, they hold a staff, and they're the weak ones of the group. And we always make fun of shepherds because they're kind of low on the totem pole when it comes to acting, and, and really, they don't get a lot of the limelight. But if you think carefully about what kind of cultures that have existed for centuries, a lot of them, and some of them in the Middle East, still consist of mainly sheep like like there are there are sheep herders like when we were we were over in the middle east we saw i saw a guy like bringing sheep down a hill it was awesome i tried to get it on video i i couldn't i missed it because the sheep just kind of follow this little line he just stands behind and he's got this weird stick and you know he was talking in a language i couldn't understand but you don't necessarily when we think of shepherds sometimes we think of these weak kind of people but actually Shepherd was kind of one of these rugged people who would have fit right in in our neighborhood in Sunnyside. Right? He's the guy who makes his own cabin. He's the person who, like, cooks their own bread. These are the people that, like, they can live out of doors for months on end, self-sufficient. He's the modern day what we're all hoping in our neighborhood to be like. He's, a, he's tough. He's tough. He can make it through. A shepherd in these days was basically exclusively built to like fend off like wolves and, and bears and lions and stuff. Like, probably you don't think necessarily of a shepherd like that. Someone who's like, I'm not that worried about coyotes because I can take them on with my bare hands. And I'm happy to. And so try me. That's the image of shepherd actually that there, there is. And so when, when we hear this word shepherd... I want you to think of someone who's, who's this tough kind of defender of a person and at the same time is, is gentle enough that he's able to literally do some animal husbandry and help a little newborn lamb to walk. Right? He knows how to care for this. He knows how to help him suckle and that kind of stuff. I know. Yes, I just used the word suckle, you guys. Probably the last time I'll use that word. That's it. Now here's what's cool is that the Bible describes Jesus as the chief shepherd. Capital C, capital S. The chief shepherd. The, the big shepherd who really is tough. He defends us. And this is what we believe about Jesus. You can think of Jesus as your shepherd, that, that when you follow Jesus, you just have to follow where he goes, and he'll fight off the wolves, and he'll care for those who are brand newborn. He's got this tough and tenderness to him, where he'll protect. And this is what Peter says. The well, first thing we've got to understand about shepherding is this isn't our metaphor. This isn't a metaphor that we've come up with. You know what's really helpful? How about we take something that no one does and try and translate that into 2015? We're taking that image from Scripture because I think it's really valuable. It's really valuable. And Jesus describes himself as the chief shepherd. Some of the most popular writings in all the Scripture, Psalm 23, is about a shepherd and what a shepherd does and how God is our shepherd. And so this is the first thing we've got to understand is that, you know, who's in charge at Urban Grace, who really leads Urban Grace is not 
this shepherd, but it's the chief shepherd. Is that I don't have any authority outside of myself. I don't have authority in myself. I only have authority to be a shepherd on the basis of what Jesus has allowed me. And sometimes it's a terrifying endeavor. Jesus is our chief shepherd. Secondly, Jesus calls people to shepherd. That's what 1 Peter 5 says. Okay, he says the chief shepherd will come in in chapter uh, 5, verse 4, but then he says, you, you shepherd the flock that's among you. I mean, some, would, some, some love this because like, the idea of calling your church a flock is great because sheep are kind of stupid and that's how some shepherds feel about their flock sometimes. That's not how I want you to think about how I think about you. Jesus calls people to shepherd. He gives them great examples. He says, do, do it willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain. Don't do it for power. Don't do it because you, have, you need this sense of identity and being over people. Don't do it domineering. He said, you, you've been given authority to shepherd people, to lead people, but don't do it in a way where people struggle to follow you. Actually, in Ephesians chapter 5, that's exactly how Paul instructs dads. Or chapter 6, pardon me. He says, dads, you have this unusual, you know, special place of authority in your home. He said, don't exasperate your children. Don't make them mad that they have you as a dad. And my little girl, six-year-old girl, sweet, sweet, super sweet. She said to her mom yesterday, you made a good choice, mom. Yeah, pretty special. I'm glad you're my dad. You're the best dad. She wants to be my kid. I mean, how, how, how does that not just warm your heart and cause you to weep? You're just like, yeah. Now, this is the same dad who has to discipline her and take stuff away and tell her, no, you can't have everything in the Walmart aisle. But that's the same dad. The same dad that says, you need to take your plate to the counter. That's the same dad who says, don't talk like a baby. That's, I'm the same dad. I'm not a different dad. I, I pray that she continues to say this. Because sometimes it's terrifying as a dad when you say some of these things and, and you're like, well, are my children still going to be willing to follow me? And this is what Peter said. Be the kind of shepherd where people will go, yeah, I, I want to follow that. In fact, I even want to be like that. He says, be examples. I want to be like that person. I want to model my, they have things that I could model my life after. Jesus calls shepherds to that. But he also says, you should follow them. He says, you should follow them. Likewise, you who are younger, and in this case, in this context, I think a lot of the times the the elders would have been older, but I think this is really mostly talking about maturity and faith. For those who are younger in the faith, be thankful and follow the elders and the shepherds that God has put in place. You know, the Bible actually uses this word interchangeably. Elder, pastor, teacher, shepherd, overseer, bishop. Those are actually all the same word. 
just used in slightly different contexts. I don't know if you knew that. One of the reasons why we, we call, I introduced myself as main elder. Now I've lead elder. If I had always introduced myself, you'd be like, why does he keep calling himself the lead elder? That doesn't even make sense. Right, so we have to teach about this. But that word pastor is actually just the Latin word for shepherd. So the Latin word for shepherd is pastor. That's where we get that word from. It literally means shepherd. Now this is your new permission to call me shepherd if you'd like. I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. Well, that would sound kind of weird, eh? Well, let's have Shepherd Rye Savvy come up and, and lead us in the Word this morning. No, that sounds weird. Forget that. But it does say follow, follow the shepherds that God has put in place. And that's why we say, this is a key question for all of us. Is this your home? Is this your home? Because if it isn't your home, it's going to be difficult for you to follow us. But if it is your home, we say there's a part that you play as sheep to follow the shepherds. There always is and there always will be. And I, I can guarantee you all of the leaders that presently at this point, we've got, we've got one lead elder, we've got two that we're trying to install and I call them elders in training, Matt and Steve. They're right there. Matt introduces himself. Steve makes sure our sound is running and our feedback never happens. These two guys are also part of your leadership team learning how to be they're not quite installed yet i can get into that at a later date but that's essentially what we have that's why i said it's a process it's part of being a church plant is your family just kind of learning on the go and so we do need your patience we need your grace as we learn what this means because for some of you right now you're like wait a second this is totally i've never heard this before I've never heard anyone talk like this. I, never, I've never, I don't even know what a sheep is, what a shepherd is. Like, I don't like mutton. Like, I don't, nothing. This is all brand new, and I say, be, please be patient with us as well as we learn and figure this out. But we've got to talk about some, some basic things, like what, what does an elder do? What does a shepherd do? What does a pastor do? And, and here's essentially, there's a, uh, there's a good passage in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. So you can turn there or you can read it on the screen. And this is what Paul is a different writer, but he knows Jesus as well. This is what he says to his friends in Ephesus. Now it's interesting, this, this story of Ephesus, is that Paul was here about two years and he was in the process of planting a church and then he, he left for a while and, and the context is he came back and one of the things he said, while I'm gone, I want you to consider... Who's going to be your shepherds? Who's going to lead this thing? And actually the book of 1 Timothy is written to a man who pastored, who was a, a young elder in Ephesus. His name was Timothy. He was a timid guy. But these instructions that are given to Timothy in 1 Timothy are actually given in the context of the, the city of Ephesus and this is what Paul has said when he comes back and he visits two years later. He, he pulls them aside. In fact, he says, look at it. He's sailing through. He isn't even going to stop there. And he says, I'm going to stop in the harbor. I don't know how they communicated this. He's like, but I'm going to stop in the harbor. I'm not going to come to your home. I'm not going to be here very long. I'm going to dock the ship in the harbor. I want all of the Ephesian church to come down there. I'm going to preach to them. I love this image. I've seen this image. We were on that street. 
And I can just see Paul bringing, and and he gathers them in, and he says, okay, last words. One of the last things he says is, you're probably never going to see me again. They weep over this. They're like, you started this whole thing. Are we really never going to see you again? And and Paul's like, "I, I, I can. I've got things that the Holy Spirit has guided me to do, and I cannot be here again. I know that I'm going to die before I see you again. But this is what he says. He says this. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, pastors, elders, shepherds, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Love that image. That's a real shepherd, eh? Shed blood for his people to get his flock in place. The shepherd that's kicked all the wolves to the curb, kicked everything out that doesn't belong, and says, I purchased this flock with the currency of my own blood. Paul's also talking about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Say, price has been paid. I know that after my departure, that's Paul, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from amongst yourselves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. It's interesting, this whole image of of a flock like, like how, how does how does a shepherd then kind of defend or what does a shepherd do he really he leads and feeds and 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 matures equips and matures by the way there's enough information in in my sermon this morning for a four-hour lecture okay so i am glossing over some of it i'm gonna have to cut short some of it because some of you actually need to eat <laughs> speaking of leading and feeding um, some of you need to be fed But essentially, Paul says, here's what shepherds do. They lead and they feed. They lead and they feed. They show the sheep what they should be eating, and they show them what they should not be eating. They make sure that what they're eating is healthy. And what's the kind of, I'm mixing metaphors here, I know, but what should you be eating? Here's what you should be eating. The message of Jesus Christ, the gospel. And the doctrine that follows from that. So each week, some, some people actually use this, and there's a couple of Christians that kind of made fun of this because Christians say this stuff and they never really explain it, but they talk about being fed on Sundays. But actually, that's what we gather to do. You saw that in our definition of church. You, we gather to feed you. We chop up the text into little pieces so it's bite-sized. So if you're new to the faith, you can understand this stuff. We make applications because sometimes understanding this and completeness takes time to apply, and so we do that for you. That's, that's what this is about. So when we say we want you to be here on Sundays, we don't want you to be here on Sundays simply so that we can have a full church. We want you to be here because this is our main feeding time. Like, I want my kids to be at the table not because I want them to be at a table, because I enjoy that and I can brag about my kids being at the table. I want them to be at the table because that's the main feeding time. This is where our children try to receive their sustenance. They don't always like what we feed them. One in particular, I'm not going to say which one. They don't like it sometimes. They don't like green vegetables. And what's a good parent say? 
you need green vegetables. I'm not worried if you don't like it. I'm worried if you don't have it. And so sometimes there are tough words. Why? Because we set out to give you things that you don't like to hear? No, because we think these are things that you need to hear. I think we need to hear things like, we're a mess and we need a Savior. I think we need to hear there's a Savior who loved you so much, he, he would stop at nothing to pursue you. And He paid for that sin with His death on the cross. And He loved you so much that He, he said, you're not going to have to live powerlessly following me. I will give you my Holy Spirit. By, you can follow Him. That's where your power comes from. I will give you a church family that will come around you and will challenge you when you think you know it all. And I will bring them around you when you need encouragement and you just don't know where to turn. See, we need time to talk through these things and to feed. That's what, that's what elders really do. That's what shepherds really do. Some people have this idea. Shepherds are, are, are simply, um, simply spiritual counselors. And I would say, not that that's not a part of what shepherds do. But honestly, Paul didn't say, pay careful attention to the flock by going out for coffee once a day with everyone. He said, guard the gospel. Fight off wolves. There's people that will be among you, he said, that will try and teach you things like Jesus is, is not really that important. That happens in churches, right? Or that we should move on from the gospel because that's for like baby Christians. And we said, no, 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 it's not. The gospel is not for baby Christians. The gospel is for baby Christians and for mature Christians. All the way through. We want you to come to the main feeding time so we can repeatedly tell you that because I guarantee, and I know you because I know me, you're going to forget this. Got a city group like Monday morning what did he talk about shoot I can't remember a thing right Has that ever happened to you it happened to me that's really embarrassing Thursday what did we talk about shoot what did I preach about I can't, I can't, honestly you guys help me out I can't it's easy to forget and there's day-to-day -day life that gets in the way and there's frustrations and there's other sermons that come our way things like you're really great be all you can be. You can be whatever you want to be. Those are sermons you're going to hear all week long. You need the sermon that says Jesus is a chief shepherd. Jesus is the one who can save you. Jesus is the one that can correct you and rebuke you and encourage you. But shepherds don't just lead and feed. They also equip and mature. And I'm going to point you to Ephesians 4, and I've got to hustle through this. I'm sorry. Ephesians 4. Such an important topic that I, I want to be th as thorough as I can. <laughs> Ephesians 4 actually says what pastors are supposed to do. It's going to come to a surprise to some of you because some of us come here and we're like, okay, okay, okay. I got the shepherd thing, okay. So pastors are the one that do the ministry while I figure it out. Actually, that's not what the Scripture says. Here's what it says. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is further left of where you are. Hopefully you can see it here. Ephesians 4, 
verse 11 to 14. This is what it says. And he, that is the Holy Spirit, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Actually, the way it's written in the Greek, I'll never do this again, and I don't even know Greek. I just know someone knows Greek. But that should read like shepherd teacher, like hashtag or hyphen or backslash. Shepherd teacher. Actually, the scripture doesn't see those as two separate things. A shepherd is a teacher and a teacher is a shepherd. What for? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So who actually does it say does the work of ministry? Anyone? You do. Now there's a special call, I think, for um, shepherds to be good examples in all. I think Paul actually explains to Timothy, he says, do the work of an evangelist. He's like, be a good example here. Do this work. Essentially, this is really interesting because our job as shepherds is to equip you to be missionaries. That's interesting because that's not why most people show up to churches, is it? A lot of time they show up to churches to get the leading and the feeding. That's great. That's awesome. But how many times have you been a part of, even, even in your head, been like, I want more. I want more. Or that when someone says, you know what, there's, there's, there's something you need to do. You need to start taking responsibility. You need to start taking responsibility for your family, as Matt said. And then verse 13, it says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Ladies, don't get offended here. It's just the way they would have understood, like mature person. Okay? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. In other words, the shepherd teacher's jobs is to equip the people within the church to do the work of ministry so that you don't be babies your whole life. I think it's an important word for our church, and it's a hard word, but I think churches over and over again have made a huge mistake, and I will apologize and take the blame for everything because sometimes here's what happens is I want to do the ministry for you sometimes. It's easier. It's easier for you to pay me to do the ministry for you. It's easier. Ask any pastor anywhere. It's way easier for me to do the work of evangelism, all of it, and to have you pay me to do it. That's way easier. What's difficult is for me to say, you need to start doing this yourself. Let me help you be bold and equip you to do this. It's such an important word. We have such, we have such a culture of perpetual infancy. We celebrate this. Have you watched the Grammys lately? Anyone? It's perpetual infancy. People acting like babies on a stage and people celebrating this and saying how creative and how artistic this is. Instead of, when will those people grow up? 
But I'm afraid the problem is sometimes we do this in a church. We'd never be comfortable with the 45-year-old person in our basement eating our food, drinking our water or beer, depending on your convictions, using our power bill. We'd never be satisfied with that. At some point we would say, hey, 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 you've got to start at least contributing to the power bill. But sometimes in our church we're satisfied with people showing up for years on end without saying, you know, you should be doing some work here. You should be doing ministry. You should be helping others connect to Jesus. You should be having your own set of disciples. Now you say, well, what, what should I do? It's like, I don't know. I don't know what you should do necessarily. But I say, if you say, here's what I want to do. How do I get equipped for this? I'll say, now we're talking. Now we're talking. That's the work of a shepherd. It's not the word we love to hear about shepherd because we like this idea of like shepherds fending off wolves. We don't love this image of shepherd saying grow up. I don't know anyone who's come to me and said, tell me to grow up. I really want you to do that. Never heard that. Lastly, how do we choose these? And I, like, I'm, I'm literally out of time. How do we choose these? What are the qualifications of an elder? I'll point you to 1 Timothy 3, and, and I'll take five minutes through these. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I'll read it for you. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. There it is again. Pastor, shepherd, elder. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not, a, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all the dignity, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. That's our, that's our grid. Anyone feel like, oh, I'm out. <laughs> that seems above. That's why I said this is a pursuit, friends. We're not looking for people who are perfect in every one of these. I don't think we would find them. I would never last in that list in, of perfection, by the way. But I am certainly in pursuit of those things. And I have experience in those things, and I'm constantly pursuing those things, and I'm constantly using that as a grid for myself. And I'm, I'm teaching this to our growing list of people that want to be elders. I think the first thing we've got to see is it's got to want it. I mean, it's one of the big mistakes the churches have made is they've made the people who have the most business experience or have been the boringest, dullest people in all their lives elders. I'm not kidding about that. I, I, I've served in a lot of churches. This happens all the time. It's like, well, you're not doing anything with your life. How'd you like to serve on the church board as an elder? What? Did any of you start a business? with somebody that you doesn't really want to be there? Is that what you start your life with? 
Like, hey, I'm thinking of starting a business. I'm looking for people who are bored, stiff, and won't do anything. No, you look for someone who wants to be there. Hey, I can't pay you a lot. I don't care. I want to be there. Hey, it's going to be tough. People are going to yell things, nasty things at you. I don't care. I want to be there. People will complain that you're not doing a good job. Doesn't matter. I want to be there. How many pros do you have and how many cons? I got one pro and 18 cons. Doesn't matter. I want to be there. I had this conversation with a guy yesterday. I said, you have, you have one pro and like 18 cons. He's like, I don't even have a pro. He said, but I want to do this. I can't not do this. I'm like, that's my guy. That's the kind of guy I want. I want someone who will be here when the going gets tough. Who's not that worried that wolves are coming. In fact, he's rolling up his sleeves like, I'm ready. Doctrine-wise, let's stand firm. Let's link arms here. Let's hold the line. Let's care for people when it doesn't make sense. Let's call people to responsible maturity, even though they hate us for it. Because that's what shepherds do. They care in a way that they're not worried if the, if the sheep's emotions are, are hurt for a season in order to bring them to maturity. I don't know anybody, and I don't know a lot of sheep herders. I don't know any sheep herder who gets in the business to see a baby lamb be a baby lamb. You know why you get in it? You get it in it for the grandchildren. Amen? Right? You don't get married for your children. You get married so you can have grandchildren one day and you can spoil the heck out of these kids. Some grandparents say amen here. Right? That's when you see the beauty of your children. You're like, yeah, grandchildren. I get all the joy and none of the work. It's perfect. Friends, that's what shepherds think. I'm in this for the grandchildren. I'm in this for the family reunion when I can say, I didn't lead those people to Jesus. My children did. I didn't stand firm so that these people could have a relationship with me. I stood firm so that I could watch my whole church flourish. And now everyone's involved in this. I'll tell you, that's why real shepherds get in the game. Not for their own gain, for the, but for the gain of the chief shepherd. I'm, I'm already used up all my time. Character. That's what it says. He desires a noble task, therefore an overseer must be above reproach. It's the junk drawer of character. Anyone have a junk drawer? Anyone have a junk room? What's that room? Nothing else fits. It doesn't really have a category, and if you can't find a place for it, it goes in the junk room. This is the junk room statement. You must be above reproach. You take anything character and you shove it in that room. It belongs. It means this person's worthy to follow. It means these are, these are the best dads. These are the best husbands. Who you'd say, I, I would like to be like that dad. I would like to be like that husband. In fact, I would like if my children would marry a, da- a husband like that. Not a dad like that, sorry, that's weird. But a husband like that. My daughter said, she goes, I don't really want to marry you but I want to marry someone like you. Yeah. Yeah, we want people like that. You trust your, your own daughters to their care. Yeah, we're looking for guys like that. Or sexual purity. This is the other side of this. One wo- the, the, the Greek here is literally a one-woman man. 
So this is a category of what's like, he's, he's not the guy who's like, maybe he's married, but he's terribly addicted to porn for 35 years. No, it's not that guy. It's a guy who's bringing this part of his life under the lordship of Jesus Christ and says, here's what I have eyes for, my wife. That's what kind of woman I'm into. I'm into her, my wife. I have eyes for her. His eyes aren't drifting around. His eyes aren't on the internet. His eyes are on his wife. And that's his picture of beauty. That's who he has eyes for. Self-control. This is sober-minded. It's restraint. Someone just doesn't fly off the handle and make terrible decisions. It's a tough one, right? One of the evidences of following the Spirit is actually self-control. Hospitable. Now some of you are like, hospitable, does that mean having people in your home? Actually, it doesn't. Here's what it means. It means having strangers who don't know Jesus into your home. Someone who closes off their home life so that people can't see how someone who follows Jesus lives does not qualify as an elder. Someone who regularly has people through their home and so that if someone were to ask that's not necessarily a Christian and not from their church, what are they like at home? They could say, actually, you're a pretty standout guy. Actually, a pretty standout guy. Someone who's able to teach. Someone who's able to teach. This is only, only one of the characteristics that's not related to character. And this has to do with skill set. Here's why teaching is important. Because there's a gospel to be told and taught. Because there's news to tell. People have got to be able to relay how does Jesus impact your life? Why would I get to know him? How do I, once I know him, how do I grow and mature in this? How do I apply that good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ died for my sins in my place to the fact that I hate my boss at work? You've got to be able to do that. And you can't do that, friends, unless you know how to do it for yourself. So this isn't like point at this person and say, well, well, do that. This is look inside. Have you even been able to do this for yourself? If you're an aspiring elder or someone that you know you want, you, hey, they could be an elder. Do they know how to do this for themselves? Got to be able to teach themselves. Not a drunkard. I could spend a lot of time on this. I'm going to say that doesn't mean don't drink at all. I don't think that means that in any way. In fact, Paul says to Timothy, dude, you should probably have a glass of wine. It's good for your stomach. But he says this can't control you. This can't be the way when you go home at night and everything's been rough and you go, I'll soothe myself every single night with this instead of soothing yourself with the good news of Jesus Christ. You don't need that in order to have an identity. What else does it mean? It means gentle. I, I love this word. We, we don't have a good translation for it. So it's not quarrelsome. It's not that great of a word in my mind because people are like, what, I can't ask questions? No, that's not what that's saying. Some of the older translations use this word pugnacious. I love it. I'm not a dog guy. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm probably going to offend someone who's a dog person here. I don't mean that. But there are dogs, and you know them, and maybe you have them, who they don't do anything. They just bark. Anyone know a dog like this? Right? They have no authority at all. They just sit and they bark at everything. They bark at themselves. Where's my tail? Bark. 
right? They're like that. I think the image here we're looking for is someone who's a German shepherd who knows how to stand up. German shepherds don't bark a lot. You know, think of a guard dog. That's a German shepherd who sits at the door and when there's danger, the hair on his back stands up, stands up, looks around, his ears point, his nose goes in the air to smell danger, says, oh, there's no danger, sits back down. That's what a guard dog does. We're looking for that kind of man who knows and smells danger, but just doesn't bark at everyone. I mean, some of us are like this. I have a tendency to be like this, friends. To just bark. It's gentle. He's gentle. He's also generous. Not a lover of money. You can't be generous if you love money. You cannot be generous if you love money. If that's what you think about, if that's what you exist, if that's the only reason you choose the job you choose, whether you have it or you don't, friends, some of you are dirt poor and that's all you think about is money. Some of you are wealthy and that's what you think about, that's money. It's not about being wealthy, it's not about being poor, it's about what drives me. I guarantee you if you love money, it will be hard for you to care for God's church. I dare say probably impossible. Tested by family. It's the example. We want to see, do, do you know how to lead your own family? Like one of the things I always ask, even if city group leaders, and we, we actually push basically our city group leaders through this grid if we can, of qualifications. One of the things I always ask city group leaders, I ask the wife, do you want, do you want to follow him into this? If you can't follow him, he's going to have a tough time getting anyone else to follow him. And I love it when the wives are like, absolutely. I trust this man with my life. I trust him to lead me to the gospel when I'm broken. I trust him to help correct me when I need correction. I trust that he'll listen when I'm right. Because she'll be right so many of the times. I trust this man to lead my family. Of course I trust him to lead the larger family. Incidentally, this is why we test our elders, our shepherds out, by having them lead city groups. We've made it a rule that you can't be an elder if you haven't led a city group. And this is, how, this is why we do that. This is why this is so important, because that's the first step. So you're like, what's my next step? I'd say, this is the step. You figure out how you, the city group leader, and then let's work from there. Because if your city group won't follow you, I guarantee you there's no one else here who will. And if your city group loves you, I guarantee you everyone else will as well. Keep going here. Essentially, it's mature, a mature Christian, reputable. That's the last one. He must be well thought of by outsiders. You're like, what is that about? Here's what that's about. An elder needs to lead in this whole process of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. An elder needs to be, in a way, respectable amongst those who do not yet know Jesus. Have you ever bumped into a church leader and in their job, everyone hates them and can't stand them? I have worked for people like this. It is terrible. 
There's almost nothing worse than knowing that there's a high church leader who is just a disaster to work for. You're like, I wouldn't trust that guy with anything. That's not the kind of person we can have. You may do all these other great things within the context of our church family, but if you don't know how to function in the world outside of this building, in this service, in these groups, then friends, there's work on your character to do. One of the things we're going to be doing is, as, as pursuing elders and, and training and whatnot is we're going to be calling up those who you work with. And we're not going to let you know who we're calling up. Why? Because we don't want to know what you're really like. You all know how to do the reference thing. I know it. We all do it. I'll get these people because they'll say nice things. We want to ask the people who you don't necessarily get along with. What do you like? What do they like? They're hard to deal with. What's their character like here? Why don't we call the band up? I'm out of time. Well, I overuse my time. It's important for us, though, DNA-wise, for us to understand this. And what I don't want you to walk away is this, this huge list of qualifications that no one will ever be able to measure up to. I guarantee you there's going to be some point that's going to be a pinch point for you. We're looking for growth and trajectory in these areas. If you're not an aspiring elder friends here this morning, that doesn't leave you off the hook. That means when we put elders before you and you say, I don't see this lining up, you're going to have a chance to say something and say, you know, I work with this person. I don't believe they're ready. I've got some question marks. So this is important for all of us to know. But most importantly, we say, even the way that we govern our church, this isn't going to put us into heaven. We don't believe that the way we're going to do it here at Urban Grace is the only way to do it. In fact, we would say, if this is a big disagreement for you, I've got a long list of great churches in the city where this will never be a problem. And perhaps that's God's way of calling you into that family, and I'm totally cool with that. But lastly, I will say, we don't think doing church governance this way will put us ahead of anyone in the kingdom of heaven. We don't think this will get us closer to Jesus. We don't think we're the only ones who really take our Bible seriously or who really love Jesus. And don't, don't you dare say this to any other church who's wrestling through this or person. Like, yeah, I really believe my Bible. That's why I believe this. Because that's not fair to say. Because we need time to process but I will say this, most importantly, before you ever submit to us as shepherds, you need to submit to Jesus Christ as your chief shepherd. It'll never work otherwise. It'll always be difficult for you if you do not understand that Jesus Christ came to this earth, he loved you so much that he spilled his own blood. That he, was, he came to this earth to show you that he wanted to be your bulwark. I love that, Julie indefensible wall that he's your shelter that he's worthwhile in believing in that he will wipe away all your sins he will grow you into maturity in fact that's what he wants to do and how much do i know that he came to this earth his body was broken and his blood was shed for you and he said this is all accessible if you believe i am who i say i am 
And so, friends, I, in, I invite you this morning to be reminded that you have a shepherd that's going to be 10 billion miles ahead of where we as shepherds are ever going to be. And that he's the great chief shepherd and he's totally worthwhile and he loves his flock. If you don't believe that this morning, I would ask you, why not? What's holding you back? What's holding you back from trusting in Jesus as your chief shepherd? And Julie, would you, would you lead us as we respond?